You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another edition of the MLB Pipeline Podcast. This one is a special edition where we're going to look at the re-ranking of all of MLB's farm systems. I'm Jason Ratliff here with Jim Callis and Sam Dykstra. We're going to talk about the farm system rankings. We are also going to look at the Major League debut of Marlins number two prospect Edward Cabrera, who is debuting against another top 100 prospect. So uh, certainly a, a matchup that has our attention. We will look at the newest member of the top 100 prospects list. That is Indians pitching prospect Daniel Espino. And we'll wrap up by answering a question or two from the mailbag. Sam, thanks for joining us. We appreciate it. Yeah, happy to, to tap in whenever I can. This will be a fun one, especially coming off last week's Top 100 and going into this week's Farm System Rankings. Yeah, so it's been a, a busy few weeks for us as we re-ranked all of the 30 farm systems, top 30 prospect rankings, the top 100 prospects overall, all the position rankings. And then following up on that, we have now re-ranked the farm systems. And uh, without any further ado, let's let's tell you who the top farm systems are. And uh, probably not a lot of surprise here. Um, now, you prob- probably could have gotten an idea of which teams were going to be at the top of these rankings uh, by virtue of looking at the top 30 prospects list, the top 100 prospects list more specifically, and which team had elite prospects, um, you know, which teams had the most prospect points. We did a, a story that uh, put all 30 teams out there and listed their you know, prospect points, which we derived just as kind of a quick and dirty, uh, here's... Uh, 100 points given to the number one overall prospect, 99 to number two, all the way down the line. Um, But uh, Jim, why don't you start us off with the number one overall farm system in baseball? Yeah, that would be the uh, Baltimore Orioles. Orioles fans in need of uh, some good news because the major league team is, is not playing well and has not for a while. And they're in probably the deepest division in baseball. So 38 games out as we record this and, and probably not going to snap back into contention real soon. But, you know, I, I do think there is real promise and real hope for the future. They're, they're still probably a couple years away. We, we talked last week on the podcast they're the first team since, was it, mid-2017 White Sox, the only other team in MLB.com ranking history to have the top position prospect and the top pitching prospect in baseball. Um, for the Orioles, it's, it's Adley Rutschman and Grayson Rodriguez. Um, and it's a really deep system. I mean, you, you've got you know all kinds of hitters, guys like Gunnar Henderson and Colton Kalzer and Jordan Westberg, and hopefully Heston Kirstad will get back on the field soon. They just drafted Connor Norby. I think the key for them getting back to contention, it's going to come down to pitching. You know, like like you know, you, you have Grayson Rodriguez, 
you have DL Hall. They've drafted a lot of hitters with early picks the last couple of years. I think they're going to need to find some pitching. I mean, I, I do like Kevin Smith as kind of a sleeper. Um, but, you know, they're, they're going to have to to build up some pitching depth. But you, you could see a lot of position player talent. And, you know, if you're an Orioles fan and you're, and you're looking for reason to be optimistic, it, it kind of reminds me of what was going on in the Astros when Michael Elias was there, Michael Elias was there working with Jeff Luno. Um, you know, and they had a very heavy hitter system and they came up with enough pitching and, and obviously things worked out really well for the Astros. Yeah. You look at the list and, uh, number two, Grayson Rodriguez, number three, DL Hall, um, Kyle Bradish, number eight is the next, uh, most highly ranked pitcher on the list. And then Mike Bauman at number 10, but <clears throat> yeah, Jim, like you said, uh, Relatively uh, hitter-heavy list there. Kevin Smith, you mentioned, is number 14 uh, left-hander, and then you have to go all the way down to number 22 and 23 with uh, lefty Zach Lowther and and uh, Alexander Wells before you hit the next couple of pitchers. Um, so that is the Orioles at number one. And uh, Sam, tell us about the number two team. Yeah, the number two team is the Seattle Mariners, which is – the Mariners are in a fascinating place right now. They're actually competing for a playoff spot. Um, it feels like we're not normally talking about top farm systems unless it was somebody like the Rays, who obviously pour so much of their resources into player development. Um, it, it's quite rare to have an actual contender at at or near the top of these lists. Uh, so if you're a Mariners fan and you're looking at this team and they're surprising in many ways at the major league level, know that more help is on the way and, and could be on the help. Uh, it could be on the way very quickly. Um, I think the big thing that stood out to me about this Mariners list and, and why, uh, you know, we had them at, at number two here, and we all basically had them within our top three system. So we are in accord there is it's very easy to find direct avenues um, to uh, making a major league impact with their top prospects. You got Julio Rodriguez at the number one spot. Um, he moves up there. He's our number two overall prospect now. One of the best hitters in minor league baseball. Very clearly a future corner bat for them. He can play some center field, obviously, but uh, you move him into right field and it feels like he can be a real cornerstone of that franchise. Noelvi Marte has really taken off this year, become a top 20 overall prospect. He's a shortstop. Uh, maybe some questions about whether he's going to be there you know, moving forward, but still... He should be a contributor on the infield, um, could be there for a long time. Maybe he moves over to third base with a good arm. George Kirby and Emerson Hancock, there was a lot of internal debate over who is the best pitching prospect in this system. That's a good thing to have for Seattle uh, when the, when it is a legitimate debate for good reasons. Um, both of those guys were high picks, and they are developing well, climbing the ladder into the upper minors, uh, both at A now. Uh, we have Kirby above Hancock. You could go the other way. Um, Kirby really stands out for – his control, but has taken another jump in stuff this year. Cal Raleigh at number five, uh, already at the major league level, already contributing there, and they have another potential catcher of the future in Harry Ford. So if you're looking at the big positions that you want somebody locked down in, it's usually up the middle. Um, so like I said, you have somebody at shortstop in Marte, you've got two legitimate starting pitchers, you've got two legitimate catching prospects, and you got Julio Rodriguez, who, like I said, is probably in a corner outfield spot. Uh, but at least is very close to contributing. Uh, we'll see how things go. He's at double A right now. 
Uh, I don't think he's going to contribute in 2021, but he should be there very early in 2022. Um, so, it's it's a it's a very good system at the top. I think depth can kind of be an issue. It, it gets significantly less exciting after a Harry Ford at number six. It goes to Zach Deloach at number seven, uh, Brandon Williamson at number eight, Connor Williams at nine, and Levi Stout at number ten. I don't think the basic prospect fan is going to know those names necessarily, but that excitement at the top is a big driver of what got the Mariners here to number two. And right, I was say, and- you know, one thing – I'm sorry, Jason. I was just going to chime in for a second. I said one thing that's impressive, I think, about the Mariners, too, if you consider the fact that they graduated Kelnick, Jared Kelnick, and Logan Gilbert, who are two of the better prospects in baseball, to the big leagues this year and still ranked number two, <laughs> that, that, that's pretty impressive. All right. And the number three team on the list is a team that we have seen climbing for the past several years. Uh, and is actually the number one team in terms of number of top 100 prospects and prospect points. And uh, Jim, that is the Miami Marlins. It is, although I, I think, Jason, they've they've actually fallen to second place in prospect points because Jesus Sanchez graduated right, since the between the top 100 prospects list came out. So they're actually number two. But uh, yeah, you know, th- th- there's kind of a parallel, a couple parallels between them and the Marlins in that. A couple of years ago, both these systems were, were flat out terrible. Um, I, you know, when Jerry Depoto first got to Seattle, he was trading prospects for veterans, and I think there was a long stretch where they didn't have a top 100 prospect on our list um, until like late in the 2018 season. They made a couple of trades, and since then they've, they've they've drafted really well and they've acquired prospects via trades, and they've bolstered their system. And it was kind of the same thing. With the Marlins, they they had a team, you know, that was kind of, you know, treading water, like middle of the pack team, bad farm system. Then they had a fire sale. I still think they could have gotten more in some of those trades than they did for some of their guys, but they've drafted really well. And then they've also graduated guys too. They graduated Jesus Sanchez, like I mentioned. They graduated Jazz Chisholm, who's a preseason top 100 guy. I think they actually have a deeper system than the Orioles and the Mariners, just in terms of, you know, you want to call it you know, like legitimate prospects. I think they go deeper. Um, you know, the, the, the tricky thing with them, and I think we may touch on this in last week's podcast with, with Jonathan, it's hard to figure out who their top prospect is because you have Cleo Watson, who they just got out of this year's draft, um, who fell to number 16 and we had ranked as fourth best prospect. He probably has the highest ceiling. They've got all kinds of pitching prospects and Edward Cabrera, who we'll talk a little about a little bit more in a minute. Max Meyer, Sixto Sanchez, who's hurt. Jake Eater, last year's fourth round draft pick, who's been spectacular this year. They have a guy like J.J. Bleday, who I want to say was our top ranked prospect coming into the season. And he's had a really down year, but there's still some talent there. They've got a, a kid named Yuri Perez, who's not on the top 100, who really started to come on in the structure league and is 19 years old and he's six foot nine. And he's, you know, unlike a lot of tall teenagers, he's got good body control and he can throw multiple pitches for strikes. So he's on the rise. And Joe Mack was a, a first round talent they got in this year's draft. And Dax Full, I, I go on and on and on. It, it's really deep. And then you have guys like just even the middle of the system, like Lewin Diaz and Braxton Garrett and Nick Neidert, who've been up in the big leagues and haven't graduated yet. Um, it's just a, it's a very nice balanced system where I think they're going to have a lot of players up you know, by the end of this year and next year, and then they have a second wave coming too. So it's, 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 you know, their system that's really risen a lot in the last three or four years. And and I think they're going to be strong for, for years to come. 
All right, so the top three systems, the Orioles, the Mariners, the Marlins, and uh, the remain the remainder of the top ten. Do we, do we want to give the we want to give the full thing here, guys? Because this is a bit sure. of a this is a, we're we're kind of giving a sneak peek here because if you're listening to the podcast early on, you're going to be getting these rankings uh, before they're even up on the site. Yeah, I would say give it to them now, and then if they really want, they can. Uh, All right, Jim, count us check. count us down, Jim. Give us the give us the top ten. The top ten. Okay, well, we've given you the, the the top three, but we'll recap. The Orioles are number one. The Mariners are number two. The Marlins are number three. Then you have the Pirates at number four. The Royals at number five. The Rays at number six. The Tigers at number seven. The Giants at number eight. The Diamondbacks at number nine. And the Reds at number 10. That is your top 10. All right. And that takes us uh, right to the cusp of a couple of other teams that we want to talk about in terms of the biggest risers on the list. And Jim, you did mention uh, one of them in that list, uh, the Pirates, who have gone from number 16 uh, at this point last year, jumped all the way to number four this year. Uh, let's talk about them first, and then we'll talk about a couple others that are uh, just outside of the top 10, as, as well as one other team right at the bottom of the top 10. But uh, Sam, the Pirates with a big jump from 16 to 4. Yeah, yeah. And I think a big reason of that is drafting. I mean, getting to draft number one overall certainly helps matters. Adding Henry Davis, he became their top prospect, now ranked number 23 overall. Uh, but I think a big Reason also is, is Quinn Priester. We bumped him a little bit back, but it's some of the reports since last midseason uh, were really strong coming off last year's instructs and alt sites and all that. Um, so he got a bump in the offseason that I don't think he would have gotten last year at the midseason mark. Um, so developing him, and I think he's starting to come on a little bit better at high A uh, than he was at the beginning of the year. So even he has some, some momentum. They still have five top. 100 prospects right now in Henry Davis, Quinn Priester, O'Neill Cruz, Nick Gonzalez, and we added uh, Leover Paguero. Um, so that rounds out that group. But obviously the big driver of all this for the Pirates is the draft. Like I said, you know, having a big pool, um, adding a bunch of talent. They have Anthony Solomedo uh, as their number seven overall prospect now. Bubba Chandler moves into number eight. Tucapita Marcano uh, was picked up in a trade. From the Padres, Roenzi Contreras was picked up in a trade from the Yankees. Um, they're doing all the things that you need to do to build a deeper system in terms of making trades. Now, you know, all these guys have to work out. They, they don't really have that necessarily big star. I, I think you could say Henry Davis has the potential to be that, but we'll see what he's going to be like as a defensive catcher. Um, they don't have that one guy, your Bobby Witt Jr.'s, your Julio Rodriguez's, uh, your Spencer Torkelson's, what have you, uh, to really hang your hat on and say, this guy is going to be our future star, our future perennial all-star, what have you. So we'll see how things go, but I think a big reason why we had the Pirates jumping so much was because they had built out that depth both through the draft and through trades. Yeah, I think, and I don't know if we have a, a, I don't think we've updated this, but I think they have 13 players on their top 30 who have been acquired via trades, which is, if it's not leading baseball, has got to be right up there at the top. Yeah, and looking at that list, another thing that stands out to me, um, certainly just looking at the top half of the list, is these guys are all pretty far away. They have, out of their top 
15 prospects, only one of them is a triple A even. Uh, so a, a relatively young list. And also the fact that they had three of their top eight prospects are from this year's draft. Uh, is that a lot? It, it's, I mean, I, I would think, guys, do you, you know from having just assembled your top 30 list, three top eight prospects on a team's top 30 list from this year's draft. I can't imagine that that happened with too many teams. No, I mean, that's more likely to happen if it, if you see it happen with a team that has a bad farm system and you're looking for guys to add. So, like, we'll talk about, I mean, the worst farm system in baseball is the White Sox. And I added draft picks at number one and number four. Um, I, I didn't have a guy to throw in the top eight. Sean Burke didn't quite rank that high. But you usually see that if the system is really thin. And I, I mean, that's just a testament to, like, what Sam was alluding to, that they did really good work. Um, you know, manipulating their bonus pool. And they got three guys who we thought were potential first round picks in, in Davis, Solomito and Chandler. And I mean, Lonnie White's not far off either. I mean, he's, he's number 11. And again, I mean, this is a deep, this is a deep farm system. I, I really like Carmen Majinski, their, their supplemental first round pick from last year. And, and he doesn't rank higher than 10 just because of the depth. So, you know, th- these guys are ranking high in, in a, a system where it's hard to rank high. Yeah. And I, I think the biggest coup out of all of them was Bubba Chandler. Um, getting him in the third round and getting him to actually sign. Um, that was a huge deal. Obviously, he had a, a strong commitment uh, to Clemson. And, and I don't think, I mean, Jimmy, you can speak to this better than I can, but it didn't seem like he was a guarantee to sign, especially going in the third round. Adding him to the system um, adds to that depth. But if, if everything works for him on either side of the ball, whether he's a, a hitter or a pitcher, um, I think that was, that was a big, big get for the Pirates. And, that, and that's the type of big, big gets that they need in a rebuild like this. Yeah, well, the, the crazy, I mean, you know, in draft, they once he went in the third round, I figured he would sign just because you wouldn't take a guy that high. But but going back to draft day, it was pretty funny. So we we, we always fool around and uh, Scott Braun and, and Jonathan Mayo and I, and I always have Scott team me up for my, my day two mock draft, which I don't really do, but I try to figure out who the first couple picks are. And, and I, I said, well, I think I teased it because I said, I think Pittsburgh is is going to upset a college football program with their pick at the top of the second round. Cause I'd been told by somebody they were going to take either Bubba Chandler or Lonnie white is what teams were hearing. That was gonna be the first pick. <laughs> so they took Solomito. I was like, Oh wow, I guess I was wrong. And then they came back and they took Lonnie white and Bubba Chandler and signed them both. So like, like we were, we were all floored when that happened. I mean, even, I mean, these guys didn't even make the list, but they got a guy like in, in the, in the mid teens, Braylon Bishop who signed for, like 280,000, I think it was, not high over slot, who we had ranked as a third or fourth round talent. They got a, a fourth rounder over slot, a, a high school pitcher named Owen Kellington. I mean, it was, a, it was a really, really deep draft. So that's the Pirates, the among the biggest risers since last year's farm system rankings, uh, jumping from 16 to four. A uh, couple of other teams that made big jumps that uh, caught my eye, the Rangers and the Red Sox with the Rangers jumping from 24 to 11 and the Red Sox jumping from 25 to 12. Uh, Jim, both of these, your teams, uh, both of these teams that have uh, a, several elite level prospects. Um, and I know we, we all have our issues with uh, prospect points, but when we did do the top 100 <laughs> prospect list, uh, just looking at prospect points, uh, Boston tied for the fourth most um, along with the Padres, who are uh, not on this list, but um, Boston tied for the fourth, fourth most prospect points, yet only ranked 12th, but that number 12 ranking uh, 
is a is a big jump for them. Yeah, and I mean, well, addressing the prospect points thing first, I think for the Red Sox and Padres, it's two kind of different things there. Um, for the Padres, who've made you know a trillion trades and graduated a bunch of guys to the big leagues, the Padres still have some elite prospects, starting with C.J. Abrams. And then you have, you know, Luis Camposano and Robert Hassel and, and you know, the enigmatic Mackenzie Gore. But their depth is, is somewhat shot behind their top group. So the, so the Marlon the Mar- the Padres are very top heavy. The Red Sox, the Red Sox are a little trickier to explain um, because I think they have good depth. Um, I, I kind of have this little spreadsheet where I try to figure various factors for teams. And I gave the Red Sox, I, I have a one to five scale for depth and I gave the Red Sox a four and they've got, they've got three guys in the first, I think 26 spots in our top 100 and Marcella Meyer, Tristan Casas and Jaron Duran. And then I think, you know, they have guys like Nick York, who is going to be pushing for top 100 spot pretty soon. Jeter Downs, who, who's had a rough year. And then they kind of have, like, their 6-10 to 10 group, I, I don't think is as strong as some of the teams we have ahead of them. They have some interesting guys. And then the Red Sox have really good depth. So it's like, <laughs> the top of the Red Sox list is really good. And I think their depth is, is really good. I'd say that kind of, you know, 6-15 to 15 area, they're maybe a little softer than some of the other teams, which is why they ranked where they did. Does that make sense, Sam, trying to explain explain that? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, every farm system is going to have tiers, and then you can judge those tiers. I think the Red Sox top tier is very good. I think their bottom tier of the top 30 is pretty solid. It's, it's that middle tier that doesn't feel quite on the same ground um, as some of the, these other ones. It's not as gradual a decline. Um, but going back to your point about the Padres, I, I do think it, it kind of falls off a cliff there. Uh, in that system, having put that system together, I, I think getting to the 20s, it was really difficult to start to string together guys and you had to kind of come up with excuses to feature them on there. Um, I, I put a knuckleballer at number 30 just because he's an interesting prospect and the Padres are very fascinated by Matt Waldron, but I don't think that could really happen in a, in a deeper system. You, would, you wouldn't be willing to make that bet on a knuckleball pitcher, um, not to put too much weight on a number 30 overall prospect or in a particular system, but it's still to to that point. I think it kind of speaks to where the Padres are now. They've em- emptied out that second tier that we're talking about uh, and made made it a much thinner system while still clinging to their brand name guys in Abrams, Camposano, Hassel, and Gore, uh, which is a credit to that front office that those guys are still around even after they made some some pretty big deals in the last eighteen months or so. Yeah, and, and circling back to the Rangers and Red Sox, just to, you know why they've improved with Boston. You know, they've been on a little bit of a roller coaster. They were our top-ranked system six years ago in, in mid-2015. That system turned into three straight division titles and World Series championship. And by the time that cycle played out, they graduated a lot of guys, they traded a lot of guys, and they you know they were ranking in the bottom five or six farm systems on our, on our rankings. And then they were so bad last year. It actually spurred them to trade veterans to youngsters, and that really replenished their depth. And it gave them the number four overall pick in, in this year's draft, uh, which is their highest pick since 1967. And they got Marcella Meyer, who we had ranked as the best prospect in the draft. And they've done a nice job with like some against-the-grain scouting moves. You know, Jaron Duran was a seventh-round pick. Nick York was not supposed to be a first-round pick, but looks like a really good one so far. And Brian Bayo, who's their, their best healthy pitching prospect right now, was a $28,000 international signing. And then with the Rangers, I actually think the Rangers, if you were 
if quantifying depth by like number of legitimate prospects, the Rangers might have more depth than any farm system in baseball. They just added Jack Leiter out of the draft uh, with the number two overall pick. Their their last four first round picks in Jack Leiter, Josh Young, Cole Wynn, Justin Foster, their top four prospects. But they've got a lot of talent too. They they've they've had later draft picks that have you know turned into interesting prospects like Sam Huff and Evan Carter, who was a shocking second round pick last year. They traded for guys like like middle infielders Josh Smith and Ezekiel Duran just came over in the Joey Gallo trade. They've signed guys internationally, like two more middle infielders and Luis Angel Acuna and Maximo Acosta. So uh, th- their depth is really good there, and, and they're going to need it. I mean, they're they're they, they, if they get they're on pay. They're, I think they're just under the pace to set a franchise record for losses. So things are not going well at the big league level, but you know they, they do have a ton of talent. It's just a matter of now you know developing it and getting it to Texas. All right, and one other team that's made a big jump uh, since last year's farm system rankings, and they are right within the top 10, number 10, uh, the Cincinnati Reds. And this is a team, uh, the farm system has jumped from 22 at this time last year to number 10 this year. Uh, Their list, led by a couple of pitchers who are right there knocking on the door, and Hunter Green and Nick Lodolo, both at the AAA level. And uh, guys, when I look at these teams that have made big jumps uh pirates rangers red sox those three uh, i mentioned the fact that uh, when we were talking about the pirates that they only had uh, one player even at triple a on that list none of none of the other three teams have more than two players at triple a or above whereas the reds their top three prospects all three of them at triple a or above and green lodolo and barrero who is already in the big leagues yeah, and it, what's fascinating about this jump too, and I noticed that it was happening, was imagine telling a Cincinnati fan last year that Austin Hendrick was going to drop out of the top 100, uh, the 12th overall pick in 2020, and the system was still going to take a jump. And I think it's because of those names you mentioned uh, there, Jason, specifically uh, Barrero and Green. You know, coming off last year, Hunter Green we just haven't seen in so long. And the fact that he was coming back looking like his usual self and maybe even a little bit of improvement on the off-speed stuff uh, was certainly you know encouraging and, and a big reason why we pushed him. Jose Barrero made his major league debut last year, but there were questions about the bat. How is that going to play? He's basically answered all of those this year, both AA and AAA, pushing uh, to that debut this year. And I think Going back to my point about Hendrick, a, a big reason why you can paper over that is they've had a solid draft this year. Um, bringing in Matt McLean, who we now have as the number 98 overall prospect in the game, is a big deal. They added Jay Allen, their number six prospect in the draft. Matt Nelson, Andrew Abbott, four of their top 11 prospects right now came from the 2021 draft. The Reds had a very successful draft in that way. Um, that has helped them take this leap. So I think it's a it's a great combination of guys already in the system, developing well, answering the questions we had about them coming in, and getting that infusion of talent through the draft has been huge for this red system. And like you said, so many of these guys are knocking on the door now to a Reds team that has tried to stay in the playoff race all summer. Um, would love to see Hunter Green or, or Lodolo get a chance if, if they're healthy enough and if they're not bumping up against innings limits. But uh, we'll see how the next five weeks or so go. All right. And we don't want to focus too much on the teams at the bottom of the list. Uh, but there is an, an, 
really notable drop and one that we've we've seen coming for a while just based on the composition of the team's uh, top 30 prospects list and guys that were about to graduate and the fact that it was top heavy. But the, the bottom five teams, Colorado, Philadelphia, Oakland, Houston, and the White Sox, and I uh, was previously referring to that White Sox list and Jim, they drop all the way from number six at this point last year to the very bottom of the list. Yeah. And, and, you know, we, we kind of noted with the Red Sox, when you, when you go from rebuilding to contending, you know, your, your, your farm system goes to recycle. It's hard to sustain that, that farm system when you're winning. And, And the White Sox had already graduated, you know, significant talent to the big leagues um, and, and this year alone, I mean, just from the preseason, they graduated Andrew Vaughn, Michael Kopech, Nick Madrigal, who they traded, Garrett Crochet. Those were their top four prospects. They were all top 100 prospects that they've since graduated off the list this year. Um, you know, in recent years, they've graduated Moncada. They've graduated Luis Robert. They've graduated Eloy Jimenez. They graduated go a couple years back, Tim Anderson. Um you know, they graduated Lucas Giolito after trading for him. So they've sent a ton of talent to the big leagues. It's not that they don't know how to, to build a farm system. It's just they've graduated everybody, and now their system is, needs to replenish again. And, you know, it hasn't helped. You know, a lot of their top prospects coming into the year were young high school pitchers out of the last couple drafts. And, and Jared Kelly, Matthew Thompson, Andrew Dahlquist, they've struggled. Yoelka Suspedis. I think the White Sox are happy with him. Uh, other organizations I've talked to have not been blown away by Yoelka Suspedis. So there's been kind of a void when the guys got graduate when the guys graduated their top 100 prospects that other guys didn't really fill that void. Now, you know, I, I mentioned before, you know, Colson Montgomery, their first round pick in July, I just put it number one and we put Wes Kath up there uh, at number four. Um, I will say probably the most positive, uh, development note in the system this year has been the return of Jake Berger and kind of the resurgence of Gavin Sheets, both of whom have contributed in the big leagues when they, they've needed to as well. So, um, you know, but they're just, I mean, you know, I think if you, I mean, I live in Chicago, if you gave White Sox fans their choice of, Hey, you can have one of the top ranks farm, top ranked farm systems, but the team's going to stink, or you can have one of the best teams in baseball, but you're going to have the 30th ranked farm system. I think most fans would be very happy with the status quo. Easy choice. And, right. and the system really put them where they were. So it's not like they just went out and bought a bunch of guys. You are listening to the MLB Pipeline podcast, breaking down the new farm system rankings. Those will be up on MLB.com slash pipeline, probably by the time you get there to take a look. But keep an eye out for those. We covered the top 10 here, the bottom five, the entire rankings on MLB.com slash pipeline we're going to take a break when we come back we'll discuss the mlb debut of marlin's number two prospect edward Cabrera. that's coming up next on the mlb pipeline podcast this episode is brought to you by progressive insurance whether you love true crime or comedy celebrity interviews or news you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue and guess what now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the name your price tool from progressive it works just the way it sounds You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome back to the MLB Pipeline Podcast. I'm Jason Ratliff here with Jim Callis and Sam Dykstra. 
Uh, we just broke down the new farm system rankings. One of the teams up at the top of that list, the Miami Marlins, and they have one of their better prospects set to make his MLB, MLB debut as we record this podcast, uh, Edward Cabrera. He is the team's number two prospect behind their first round draft pick from this year, Khalil Watson, and uh, leads a pretty impressive group of pitching prospects. And, uh, you know, when I look at this team's top 30 list, you have Cabrera at two, Max Meyer at three, Sixto Sanchez at four. And obviously last year that was, was it, was it flipped? Jim, you might know, was it flipped? Yeah, I think it was. I think, I mean, obviously Meyer wasn't on the preseason list because they drafted him, but, but Sanchez was ahead of Cabrera going into the season. Although you had people in the organization who felt that Cabrera was better. And then when Meyer got drafted, we, we put him in between the two of them. Okay. And then, you know, they have Jake Eater, who's made a bit of a jump this year at number six, and Yuri Perez at number seven. Dax Fulton, you mentioned before, Jim, also in the top 10 at number nine. But Cabrera, to me, seems like a guy that Meyer and Sanchez seem like the more known commodities of those sort of big, of their big three pitching prospects. Yeah. And I think that's because. One, I think just the pedigree, you know, Sanchez was acquired from for JT Real Muto. He's one of the best pitching prospects in baseball when the Marlins got him. Max Meyer, you know, was the number three overall pick in last year's draft. And Edward Cabrera was more of a, you know, $100,000 signing in 2015. Wasn't a big time guy. And, you know, they've, you know, he's been the system for a while. They brought him along slowly. He didn't really, I think, break out as a, you know, kind of a, big time prospect till 2019. Um, and then, you know, last year, I think we would have seen him in the big leagues and people would have known more about him, but he had minor shoulder soreness. So they, they never wound up calling him up. And at the beginning of this year, he had a, a minor biceps issue. So he didn't start the the minor league season um, on time uh, before he got going. Uh, but, you know, and, and I don't think, you know, Sixto has got the spectacular change up, you know, Max Meyer's got the wipeout slider, and Cabrera's got good stuff, but I don't think he has that signature pitch. I mean, it, it's really good stuff. It's, it's a mid-90s fastball with, with with heavy life, and, you know, he can hit triple digits, and his slider will, will be a plus pitch pretty consistently, and the changeup's pretty solid, and he throws a decent amount of strikes. But he doesn't – I don't think he's got that wipeout pitch like, like Sanchez and Meyer have. But, you know, comparing him to the two of those guys, I think – you know, six does tough to rank because, I mean, we were talking about this before we came on the air. If he hadn't been hurt this year, he would have graduated, but he's hurt. Um, so you got to factor that in a little bit. And and Max Meyer has been, you know, been challenged with an assignment to double A um, in, in his first full pro season. And it's it, it's weird saying this because he's got a 1.970 RA. I don't think – I think Meyer has been more good than wow in terms of stuff and command this year. Um, I mean, he's still really, really good, but I just think Cabrera might have the best combination of of three pitch mix and health and strikes if you're comparing him to the other two guys. But it's like I said before, I, I really if J.J. Bleday was having the year you would expect he would have been having and you give Jake Eater full credit for what he's doing this year, you could really rank any of those six guys as, as the number one. Uh, prospect in that organization. It, it was a tough call. And and Twitter's all, Marlon's Twitter's all angry that Yuri Perez is not on the top 100. So you, you can't make everybody happy, I guess. Well, when a top 100 prospect makes his big league debut, uh, we always do a story on what to expect from that player. And 
Jim, you, you'll be writing that story. Had, had we thought ahead a little bit, you could have just done this segment, read it. You could have just talked as though you were you were doing the story. We could have had your transcriptionist transcribe it for you. You would have been finished already. Well, we could just we could just run the clip. It'll just be an audio what to expect, like like an audio daily double, but an audio what to expect. So, one thing to expect is uh, for Edward Cabrera to be facing another top 100 prospect in his big league debut. He'll be matched up against Josiah Gray and uh, Sam. I know you have a story up on the site about that now. Yeah, I mean this is a pretty rare occasion for two preseason top 100 prospects to match up in this way. Um, we don't see it very often. We've seen it a little bit in recent times where, uh, especially division foes like this, uh, when the Marlins and, and Nationals are playing on Wednesday, and that's when Edward Cabrera is going to debut. Um, but we've seen it a little bit in the AL Central with like Brady Singer and Daniel Lynch going up against Casey Mize and Tarek Skubal. But for a t- preseason top 100 prospect to debut against another preseason top 100 prospect is exceedingly rare. It's only happened one other time uh, since Pipeline started rankings. Uh, And that was in 2013 when James Paxton began his major league career against Chris Archer in a Mariners-Rays matchup. Um, So this is the first time in eight years something like this has happened. Uh, Edward Cabrera will be facing Josiah Gray of the Nationals on Wednesday. Uh, This is a, a special matchup for tons of reasons, but a big reason being that these are the bottom two teams in the NL East. Both of these clubs are so heavy and reliant on young talent right now. The reason why Josiah Gray is pitching in a Nationals uniform is because the Nationals went into sell mode at the trade deadline. Uh, They sent Max Scherzer and Trey Turner to the Dodgers. They got four prospects back, including Josiah Gray and another top 100 talent in Kbert Ruiz. Um, So Gray has been pretty good (laughs) since coming over from the Nats. Uh, He's got an ERA below three. Uh, which I think is notable. It's at 2.86. He's got 22 strikeouts and only five walks and four starts. Uh, that's 22 innings. One thing that's notable to me is all seven of his earned runs have come on home runs. Uh, so his FIP is certainly higher than his ERA. That's something to watch going forward. But the stuff is playing. He's throwing mid-90s with his four-seam fastball. Uh, he throws that roughly half the time. He's got a low ease curveball that's generating uh, swings and misses on 56.1% of swings. Uh, that's a crazy high number. Uh, he'll also mix in a mid-80 slider and a changeup that has surprisingly high spin rates. Uh, I think it ranks 16th in uh, spin rates among all major league changeups. Uh, so maybe he'll, that's something he'll throw a little bit more as he grows more comfortable with it. But a, a comfortable four-pitch mix here for Josiah Gray. It's a big reason why the Nats have just slotted him right into that rotation. And now we're going to see a p- potential matchup that we could see years again down the line uh, in Gray and Cabrera. The Marlins and, and Nats would certainly draw it up that way. They have these guys, they, they're giving them their major league starts right now because they think they're ready. They think they are long-term solutions. I know Jim just said you know, Cabrera might not have that punch-out pitch, but he still has the stuff to be a major league starter for the long term. And if both of these teams could draw blueprints for how the next five, six years are going to go, they would have Gray and Cabrera certainly in the rotation, if not at the top of the rotation, given what they've shown in the minor leagues and in Gray's case, what he's already shown in the majors. All right. So that's... Hold on. I got my my research project. Yeah, I know. I was going to say, I'm I'm on the edge of my seat here. Before we we went into the segment, Jim made us wait uh, and went rummaging around in a shoebox 
to find a ticket stub, which somehow relates to this. And Sam and I, while Jim was in his closet or wherever he was digging through the shoebox, we we're, were trying to guess what could this be? Was he in an, in attendance uh, last time two top 100 prospects faced off in, in one of their debuts, but that didn't make sense because it was uh, what Seattle, Tampa Bay. Don't think Jim would have been in either of those places. And then Jim, you gave us a hint that this was from 19 years ago. I'm still not putting this together. What, what happened? Okay. okay so I, I was, I was thinking back, like I, I was, when Sam was talking about a top 100 prospect making his debut against another top 100 prospect. I was like, I'm pretty sure I was at this game. So I went back, I looked at my 2002 ticket stubs and I remembered the matchup that I'm going to mention, but I, I, I wanted to check. I could not remember if I went to Mark Pryor's major league debut. Um, I was pretty sure I had, but I didn't remember that game as well, but I do have the ticket stub and, and I did see Mark Pryor on May back then, back then you could, you could pretty much buy tickets day a game for the Cubs and get pretty good seats. It was, it was a little different back then, but on May 22, I watched, Mark Pryor strike out 10 in six innings, give up two runs, beat the Pirates, first big league victory in his debut. But that was against David Williams. So I knew that wasn't the matchup. But the matchup I remembered, and I was wondering if it was the debut, was, was Mark Pryor going into that year. Uh, I was at Baseball America. MLB.com did not even rank prospects back then. That's how long ago it was. Mark Pryor was the number two prospect in baseball. Quick quiz, do you guys know who the number one prospect in baseball would have been? 2002. It's another pitcher. Oh, it is another pitcher. Yes. Uh, I've got nothing. I'm I'm semi cheating. I'm looking at our at our 2004 list. Would have been gone by then. Would have been gone by then. I don't know. Josh Beckett was number one. But so anyway, Uh, anyway, he he didn't debut till next year. But Brett Myers was ranked number 33 on Baseball America's list. And so a couple months later on July 24th, Brett Myers made his big league debut at Wrigley Field against Mark Pryor. And I remember going to the game. I was all pumped up. And they both pitched great. Mark Pryor, two runs and seven innings. But that was enough to get tagged with the loss. He gave up a a game-winning – the game-deciding home run to Marlon Anderson. Brett Myers, eight innings, two hits, one run. His only – run he gave up was a solo homer to Mark Bellhorn and it was a four to two Phillies win over the Cubs uh and then the time of game was two two <laughs> this seems crazy two hours and 29 minutes it seems like a totally different era and I guess it was yeah but uh but I was there that was the the number 33 prospect preseason making his big league debut against the number two prospect uh uh, preseason and, and it did not disappoint. But I, my research was, I was pretty sure I'd gone to Pryor's debut too, but I wanted to double check that in case anybody was fact checking the podcast and would say, no, you were not there. But I do have that ticket stub as well. I was telling oh, Jason, Jim, while you were digging through the closet, the closest I can come to that was I was at Jose Fernandez's major league debut nice. at City Field, uh, April 7th. 2013 and as many fans will remember he jumped many levels uh and got pushed straight to the majors right for the opening day roster that year um so when i found out he was pitching here in new york uh, i got super excited that was actually on my birthday in 2013 i won't say what i was turning then uh for the benefit of everyone but um yeah that was that was a pretty good treat and he looked like he fit right in (laughs) going back through the box where five innings pitched only one run allowed eight strikeouts and only one walk uh, looked like a major leaguer straight from the beginning there. Uh, and the only thing I remember from that game, other than how he pitched, was how cold it was. It was 53 degrees of the, 
with some wind, uh, according to the box score. And I remember thinking, here's this guy from Florida who was complaining about Greensboro weather the year before. Uh, I, I can only imagine how cold he was pitching in New York in April, but he got the job done. Did not go against the top 100 prospect that day, though. The Aaron Laffey was not a top 100 prospect? Not that I recall. Maybe you have a different memory than I do. But, uh, <laughs> I not, do not. not at the time uh, was Aaron Laffey. Well, I'll have to uh, chip in my, my uh, top-ranked pitching prospect major league debut that I attended, which was uh, Julio Urias. Uh, was in New York, and of course he was what thirteen years old or something at the time. Um, and his stats do not uh, stack up to the to the others that you mentioned. He went two and two thirds, uh, gave up five hits and four walks, three earned runs, uh, had three strikeouts. As the uh, Dodgers lost to the Mets, and I did not remember this, but uh, he faced a uh, at that point not nearly as ballyhooed or accomplished Jacob Degrom who uh, went seven innings and allowed one run on three hits with seven strikeouts back in uh, 2016. Very nice. All right. So we're, we're, we're talking about all this because we have a top 100 pitching prospects matchup between Marlins, Edward Cabrera uh, and the Nats, Josiah Gray. Uh, that coming up uh, as we record this podcast uh, will be tomorrow night. Uh, when we come back, we're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to take talk about another top 100 uh, overall prospect, pitching prospect, who has just joined the list, and that is Daniel Espino. We'll talk about that right after this. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back to the MLB Pipeline Podcast. I'm Jason Ratliff here with Jim Callis and Sam Dykstra filling in for Jonathan Mayo. We have a, a relatively regular segment on the podcast where we look at the newest member or members of the top 100 prospects list. When a player graduates and a new player comes on, we like to introduce that player. And uh, this week we are talking about Indians right-handed pitching prospect Daniel Espino. He was a First rounder in 2019, the 24th overall pick by the Indians, six foot two, 205 pound right hander, 20 years of age. And uh, Jim, uh, he is on your Indians list. So tell us about uh, Mr. Espino. Yeah, you know, as you mentioned, first round pick a couple of years ago, had one of the more, you know, probably the most electric arm in that 2019 high school class. He was in the upper 90s a lot on the showcase circuit. Uh, you know, kind of interesting background. He's born in Panama, uh, moved to Georgia for his sophomore year of high school, um, and just really took off. Um, you know, like like so many guys with the with the pandemic shutting down the minor league season. You know, he he didn't get to pitch at all last year. You know, except you know you know at the alternate site or instructional league. You know, but no games. You know, he made you know brief twenty three inning pro debut in two thousand nineteen, and he's been pretty spectacular this year. I mean, the stuff is. You know, you're still seeing mid 90s every time and uh, triple digits, you know, on the high end with all kinds of life. Uh, he's got a sharp slider and a, and a curveball with some depth, working on a changeup, working on strikes, but, but, but very impressive. And he doesn't qualify officially 
for the minor league lead, but he's, he's pitched 72 thirds innings and struck out 120 guys. And among anybody who's pitched 70 or more innings in the minor leagues this season, he is far and away leading in strikeouts per nine innings at 15.3, which is pretty good stuff. And as a, a quick quiz, Danny G not here to police us quick quiz. Do you know who's second among minor league pitchers with 70 or more innings and in strikeout rate? I'll be shocked if either one of you comes up with this. My guess was going to be Grayson Rodriguez. That would not be correct. Although he would be third behind this other guy and Daniel Espino. So a fine guess. Solid guess. Um, it's, it's not Hunter Green, right? It's not Hunter Green. Hunter Green's been about a strikeout an inning in AAA. So Is not it, Hunter Green. Uh, Spencer Strider? Very, see, Sam is the big winner. It is Spencer wow, Strider. Spencer Strider also has 120 strikeouts in 75 innings as opposed to 72 thirds. But he's at 14.4, nearly a full strikeout behind Daniel Espino. Yeah, and, and the big thing for Espino for me um, that I've been really impressed by, those, those strikeout rates that you mentioned are, are the big standouts. Like that's going to pop on any player page, and that's great. But uh, – one thing that stood out to me is his walk rate's actually gone down a little bit uh, since he moved up from high A, or moved from low A to high A uh, in his age 20 season. He was walking roughly 4.9 batters uh, per nine innings at low A to begin the year. And that, that's to be expected with somebody with this level of stuff, somebody who throws hard, somebody who's got good breaking pitches. He's probably going to land him, a lot of them out of the zone. Uh, and it was a little bit worrisome for me at the beginning of the year. It's why I don't think we were pushing him that hard for the top 100. But the fact that it's dropped from 4.9 to 3.9 so far at high A, you could say it's small sample. It's only been six starts. I get that. Uh, but the fact that he is showing growth in that area that I think he has the most room for growth is is a big sign. And it's why we have him here. Uh, if he can still take this swing and miss stuff, find the zone a little bit more consistently, it's easily a good starter at the major league level. Um, so it, promising early returns for him at the beginning of the year. I'll be interested to see how those walk rates change and, or if they do change at all as that sample opens up a little bit more at high A. Uh, but he's certainly trending in the right direction, and, and that's why we slotted him at number 100 uh, immediately at one, once Jesus Sanchez uh, graduated. And, and right on cue, he has been uh, absolutely dominant in his past two starts, uh, combined 10 innings has allowed just two hits, one run uh, on a home run, four walks, and 21 strikeouts in 10 innings. So Daniel Espino joining the top 100 prospects list. That list, as always, uh, up at MLB.com slash pipeline. Take a look at that there. We are going to go into our final segment of the episode today, the mailbag. We have a couple of questions here, one from Nick, one from James Davis, uh, Nick is at in Tomp, T-H-O-M-P, 3312, and he asks, can you just say some nice words about the Cubs so I can forget this second half for a few minutes? Joking, but seriously, it's been a tough year for some of their top guys, but they've added so much depth. That plus next year's draft equals a burgeoning farm system, yeah? A bit of a leading question there, Jim. It is a leading question, but I'll allow it. Um yeah, I, I think that's accurate. I mean, they're a team that's on the rise. They were, a year ago, number 26 in our farm system rankings. They're up to number 18. 
I'm sure Cubs fans will feel like that's probably too low, which will allow me to, to make the joke I always make that I forgot earlier that whenever we do farm system rankings, there's one team and its fans who think we got it right and 29 teams and their fans who think we have them too low. But it, it's been kind of a weird year. Uh, you know, their the, the, the best pitching prospects, Braylon Marquez, Cole Franklin, haven't pitched, you know, the, their best guys coming into the year. Um, you know, Brennan Davis, you know, had a, had a you know, after – getting a slow start to the season after he got hit in the head in spring training was MVP, of the futures game. He looks great. Um, you know, they pushed last year's first round pick Ed Howard kind of hard to low a for his, his pro debut. Cause it's so many young shortstops and he struggled a little bit, but, but there have been a lot of positives. I mean, they've made a bunch of trades. I, I'm just looking here at their list. If you go back to the U Darvish trade last winter, they've got one, two, three, four, five of their top 14 prospects and six, Seven, eight, eight overall have arrived in trades. I had one one executive tell me he thought the peak getting Pete Crow Armstrong for Javi Baez. He thought the Mets made the worst trade of uh, of the deadline to give the Cubs Pete Crow Armstrong. Um, you know Reginald Preciado and Casey who came over the New Darvish trade. They look really good. I think the guys they got in the Chris Bryant trade, Alexander Canario and Caleb Killian, are kind of sleepers in the fact that that fans don't really necessarily know who they are, but they're good prospects. And I was really encouraged by their, I mean, their draft, especially their top two picks. They got the best left-hander in the draft in Jordan Wicks. Um, and they got James Triantos, who, who can really hit a, a high-rising high, high school guy late. So I, I think their farm system is on the rise. There's a lot more depth than they, they had a year ago um, with all these trades and a good draft and their international program remains strong. The key is going to be developing pitching, which they haven't been able to do for a decade. Uh, then they need to get some of their guys healthy, but but they have added to their pitching depth as well. Yeah, and just to piggyback off what Jim was saying about Pete Crow or Armstrong, if, if you're looking for one really positive thing outside of the Brennan Davis division here in this Cubs system, um, I think getting Pete Crow or Armstrong was a huge coup for this for this Cubs system for essentially a rental and Javier Baez. Um, I know he's out with a shoulder injury. He hasn't really played, but he was looking really, really good in the Mets system at low A prior to that. Again, a small sample. I totally understand that. But the big question about him was his bat. And he was showing that it, it could certainly play a full season ball immediately before the injury. We'll see what he's like when he comes back. Um, but I know the Mets player development people were, were certainly high on him and what he was showing with the bat and the way he was already playing when that was his biggest question coming out of the bat. He's go- or, uh, coming out of the draft. Um, he's certainly going to be a good runner. He's going to be a great defender in center field, uh, was probably the best defender anywhere in the 2020 draft. Uh, if he can start hitting when he does come back healthy, which is probably not going to be until 2022, then he's a top 100 talent pretty easily. We just haven't seen it yet over a long term, and we haven't seen what he's like after the shoulder. But getting PCA in this system, adding him to that kind of dynamic mix, giving him another, giving the Cubs another top outfield prospect next to a Brandon Davis, uh, it's pretty easy to see those guys paired up in the outfield in the future in Wrigley. Um, so it, if there's one big thing to hang your hat on for me, it would probably be adding him and and getting another top 100 talent down the line once we know he's uh, – fully healthy all right so thank you to nick i'm gonna guess thompson you guys going with thompson t-h-o-m-p i'll go with thompson yes i, I don't know any thompson. other last name that starts with those letters it's gotta be thompson. nick we're gonna thank nick thompson for that question uh I have one more question from james davis a pretty simple one not a leading question uh when do the international prospect rankings come out 
I can answer. Yeah. That. So first off, yeah, Sam, you, you got it. Yeah. I, I, Should we call I, Jesse I Sanchez right now? I was going to say like, we shout out to Jesse line. Sanchez for doing this every year. Um, you know, even before I was part of the pipeline crew, just to seeing him call all these names and put them all together. Um, guys who ha- have not played professionally yet at any level are spread out across the globe. Getting 30 names onto a list is, is huge. So I know he put a lot of work into this um, to answer the question directly. Check back later this week uh, towards the second half of the, the week. We expect that that top 30 international prospect list will be up. Um, Jesse puts a lot of work into this, like I just said, and, and uh, it's a great preview for who's going to be signed coming this January. Remember that the deadline has moved uh, to or not the deadline. The opening of the international window has moved um, to January. It was that this year. It's going to be that again next year. Uh, so keep an eye out for that. But this is a great way to do your homework ahead of time and, and see which of the top names are going to sign on the international market. And uh, Sam, you, you said top 30, which this has always been, but this year we're expanding the list to 50. So this will be uh, our first ever top 50 international prospects list. So uh, Jesse doing even more work this year. I was going to say, that's, that's, that's a good life advice, kids, is uh, under promise and over deliver. And Jesse Sanchez has done that again. All right, that's going to do it for this week's episode of the MLB Pipeline Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts so you don't miss an episode. If you're enjoying the show or have any suggestions, leave us a rating and a review. Thanks for listening, everybody. See you next week.